Um, and it was fascinating to me how many different studies have proven its effectiveness, often when paired with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So used as a tool, um, not always standalone, but also with, you know, some other cognitive behavioral therapies has shown, you know, statistically significant. All right. Hypnosis is a waking state of awareness, essentially, right? Where what you're able to do in this hypnosis, if you will, is you're able to tap into your subconscious. And if we remember from, let's say the matrix, right? Where Neo was able to download a bunch of different programs that otherwise he was unable to do. This is something where you're able to program and add different programs, but you really have to be in this, this environment to where you can actually tap into your subconscious state. Now, this isn't something where this just came out of nowhere. This has actually been recorded as early as the Egyptians with sleep temples, where high priests uh, would actually come in and they would start doing these hypnosis techniques. Now, fast forward to the latter half of the 18th century, we have a we have a scientist named Franz Mesmer. Um, this is where mesmeration comes from. Then we fast forward to the English physician, James Braid, and the phenomenon that is termed hypnotism and hypnosis, where he came up with this was actually from the sleep god or the Greek god, I should say, of sleep, hypnos. Then Sigmund Freud dipped his toe into it a, a bit, and he started noticing the effects of this for you know, neurotic disorders. But where he did see a ton of improvement with was from World War One and two victims, where hypnosis and the practice of this uh, actually created a, a better environment, mental environment for these soldiers. As we fast forward, though, now we get to the granddaddy of hypnosis. And now I'm going to use the term which I prefer to use, which is neuro-linguistic programming. This is from Milton Erickson. He is considered to be the father of modern clinical hypnotherapy. And he became fascinated with this demonstration during his time in medical school. He became a psychiatrist, planted roots down in Arizona, and he, he was studied by John Grinder and Richard Bandler. And as they were refining the understandings of the structure of the human experiment, uh, experience, sorry, this ultimately became what is now neuro-linguistic programming. And one of the major contributions uh, was being able to get into and tap into the unconscious mind. Erickson was able to see in this computer where you're able to download specific uh, pieces or specific things, if you will, that are going to enhance your life. Bostead, I'll, I'll, I'll pass the mic off to you. Sounds good, Bruce. I appreciate the the history of uh, hypnosis and, as you've said, neurolinguistic programming. Um, just my quick touch on that. Um, you, you mentioned it already, and I, I think you worded it well, but the conscious mind versus the unconscious hypnosis is really you know being able to 
bypass the conscious mind and get at the unconscious mind. Um, that can be done in a couple different ways. Um, so one is by you know putting people into a state of relaxation. Um, I'll touch very briefly on the, the different waves of the brain. Gamma waves are when you're actively thinking about something. Beta, beta waves are when you're active and focused. Alpha is like just relaxed and generic state. Theta is like a dreaming or autopilot state. And then delta is a state of deep, deep sleep. Um, one way to program the unconscious mind is to get people into those theta waves, into a state of deep relaxation that kind of shuts off your conscious mind, similar to what you do in meditation. Um, you can also alter the subconscious mind by environment. So there's environmental cues you can use. Um, one hypnotic technique is, you know, making some type of noise and talking about something bad, then talking about something good, then talking about something asking the subject about something bad while making that click in the environment will help them associate it negatively. So if you want to stop smoking cigarettes, Bruce, I, you know, click a pen. I ask you about a really shitty time in your life. Um, I then ask you about a really good time in your life. We repeat that cycle a few times. And then I ask you if you were a regular cigarette smoker, which you aren't, um, I would ask you to talk about smoking cigarettes and I would click the pen while you talk about that. That would create a negative association in your mind. So I just want to point out there's a couple ways to you know, get into different states of hypnosis. Um, and what I've focused on in preparation for this episode is just looking at the more recent peer-reviewed research. As Bruce said, hypnosis has a, a large history. Um, and it was fascinating to me how many different studies have proven its effectiveness, often when paired with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. So used as a tool, um, not always standalone, but also with, you know, some other cognitive behavioral therapies has shown, you know, statistically significant increases. A lot of people think of hypnosis as you know, same thing as like ghosts or, you know, into a realm of some people believe it, some people don't, but I'm here to tell you, believe it because there's a, there's research um, backing it. One Reginald Nixon, uh, main author on the additive benefit of hypnosis and cognitive behavioral therapy in acute stress disorder. Uh, this is from 2005, was cited by over 300 people. Um, for those of you not familiar with journals, any journal that's published has to go through a peer review process. So is you know, has been looked at by other scientists. If it's cited by people, that means other scientists found it useful to advance their research. Um, if it's cited by, you know, 10 people, that means it was decently useful. If you're in the hundreds, that is incredibly useful. If you're in the thousands, that is like a landmark discovery. So cited by 300 people is significant here. Um, and they found that, you know, people with very bad stress disorders, um, when treated with behavioral therapy and hypnosis, did better than people who were treated with just behavioral therapy. And of course, the control group treated with nothing was way worse than both of them. Um, there's also been a lot of looks at physical ailments as well. So uh, from Joan Bloom, this is back in 1983, women with breast cancer hypnosis was shown to help reduce sensations of pain in women with breast cancer. Um, again, they, they did cognitive behavioral therapy, a control group, and then one with both that group with hypnosis saw the most. Um, they've done these in children back in 1993. They had children who were wetting the bed. Some take a drug that helped stop that and some do hypnosis. 
they both had the same effective rates initially, but the children who were doing self-hypnosis, that's another key, self-hypnosis, were way more likely to keep the keep that good habit, keep not wetting the bed long-term. The children who took the medicine stopped at the same rate as those with hypnosis. And then when they stopped the medicine, uh, a majority of them fell back into wetting the bed. Um, what else? What else do we have? There's, I think there's one more. So those are most of the recent ones and go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, no, I was going to say too, when, I actually recently spoke with somebody where their kid was grinding their teeth. Now I'm somebody who grinds their teeth and those that I think that you're also one that, that does as well. And I think it's because we just have, for whatever reason, we're just overly active in our sleep. Um, but it's been used. He mentioned that it was so bad. They would go camping and he couldn't sleep. It would wake him up. His kid grinding their teeth. And so he put, uh, you know, a couple, uh, you know, this again, self-hypnosis, he would put a couple words and have them say that every time before they went to bed. And sure enough, hasn't grinded their teeth once since. And I thought that was pretty phenomenal and um, it was a really interesting conversation. But it sounds like based off the wedding of the bed that that's something that there's been a, a few other few other incidences or experiments that self-hypnosis has actually been really effective exactly and i won't get into the differences self-hypnosis versus you know with with a clinician um there are differences but moral of the story for folks out there is that you can have this done by a clinician and that's obviously better to start but you can use self-hypnosis as well um, and my point in citing these you know various research studies as you can see over the course of decades from the 70s when we you know just started doing a lot more neuroscience research to more present is that hypnosis has been shown in a variety of different fields right from bedwetting to breast cancer pain to uh, stress management um, there's another on depression it, it's been shown to have statistically significant effect over just normal therapies that that we were doing without it so clearly here right this this tr attempting to tap into the subconscious is playing a role in making hypnosis uh, effective and of course i went hard down the the neuro uh, neuroscience neurobiology routes but one person who's been researching this most recently is david spiegel he's out of stanford and has put a lot of uh, research out on this of course he was on the huberman podcast not too long ago all roads lead back to uh, to huberman um who we cherish greatly um another another fantastic podcaster but he did, has done a lot of work again recently on which regions of the brain are affected by hypnosis and what he found is that it was the anterior cingulate cortex that was, um, you know, that he studied people under fMRI machines, which monitors blood flow and activity in different brain regions. And he found that region to be the most impacted uh, by hypnosis. People who were hypnotized had lower levels of activity in that area and the ones who were able to have positive benefits. Now, anterior cingulate cortex, this is part of the Cortex, which means prefrontal cortex, something involved with consciousness. That's a, a general term to describe a region in the brain that is basically holds our consciousness, oh so important to us. 
Um, it's involved with many different things in a region of the brain we're still exploring. Um, you know, environmental awareness, emotional processing, um, impulse control, implicated in a number of those things. But what fascinates me about it is back to our touch on meditation. This is also one of the main regions of the brain known as the default mode network. Default mode network being the region of your brain that is active at a state of rest and the region of the brain most impacted by meditation. There have been a number of studies that show an increase in cortical thickness, we'll link in the description below, um, for practitioners of meditation in this and a couple other regions of the brain. What does that mean? That means that people who meditate have a larger, gr larger mass of gray matter in this area, so more neurons and you know, neural connections, um, but they showed the least amount of activity, which led to the highest amount of happiness and overall, you know, overall healthiness. So again, just want to point out that this region of the brain is clearly one that is very important and hypnosis and meditation clearly have some things in common. Um, one being this anterior cingulate cortex and, you know, it seems like both meditation and hypnosis have the ability to regulate and impact this region. That's really, that's really good stuff. I love when things come full circle and I knew that it would just on some of my research, um, with, with meditative states, uh, and, and meditation in general. So we, we know what is it, a little bit of history behind it, the science, uh, the science back be, behind it. Let's talk about just different ways in which we can actually implement this and how we can put this in. Well, there's a few there's filters, right, that we all have within the brain. And the the filters that have been described, and this is actually what, uh, you know, I plan to pick up, which is actually neurolinguistics for dummies. And they start going through what these filters are. And the three bullet points here are the generalizations, the distortions, and deletion. Generalizations can be... You know, for example, they give a couple examples of, you know, Americans talk loud, right? English drink tea. And so what I've gathered from this is that you want to avoid these generalizations because these generalizations can then become, you know, your, your reality. And we all know, just like on a political note of generalizations and how generalizations lead to what we now know as stereotypes. These are things that also you're going to have those same type of things uh, or those same type of generalizations in this case for things that are around you that may not be true. And so when they give these, they give these examples, right? Again, Americans talk loudly, uh, the British drink tea, Italians are wild drivers. Uh, what they, they ask you to avoid always musts and shoulds. And when you're going through this, also start to ask yourself different questions, right? So when you're using always must and shoulds, right? These are things that we just naturally inherently say. Instead, ask a different question. You know, what would happen if I didn't? When did I decide this? Is this statement true and helpful for me now? 
And by asking these questions, now you open up your brain to something that's that's different. Uh, you know, open up your brain to a, a, a different learning uh, and also to prove things that just may not be true to begin with. So now distortions. We know distortions to, right, we, we see something and we make this our reality and we distort it in so many different ways. I call it mental gymnastics. Uh, this is where we're taking something that's, again, it may not be true, but we're twisting it up like somebody was talking about me. I know that somebody was talking about me. And then you create this reel in your head to where it's, they're talking about me. And then they went to the neighborhood. They went to city council and they talked about me. They knew this about me, all these different, these different elements. And I'm just using these as basic examples of what our brain is doing at a, at a simple level, but this can be on a higher level too, right? If you start thinking, maybe you have back pain and all right, I'm going to have back pain for the rest of my rest of my life. Or, you know, I stub my toe, my toe is going to be messed up forever. These type of words and this type of thinking, right, is what you're creating your reality to to be. And so this leads into the third bullet point, which is deletion, right? There are some things and I, I, I Nick, I really love when you mention the studies and there's there's a mix, right? There's these this hypnosis techniques or neuro linguistic programming along with, um, a, you know, a behavioral therapist or or you know an actual doctor where you're really mixing the two. And I really think that that's best practice because there are things that you need to do. You have to do the work as as a person, um, but then there's also people within a specific field that allow you to get there and more strides and better strides. And so the third bullet point is deletion, right? So you have these thoughts and you have these generalizations, uh, they're coming up and you're, you know, you're asking the right questions to break those and to change your pattern of thinking. There's, it's deletions here, but it's the cancel, cancel, cancel method. And so as you start having these thoughts, these assumptions, these generalizations, these distortions, you have to cancel, cancel, cancel as fast as they come up. Because you got to remember that you are the driver, right? And your body works for you. And it's a means of really being able to take control of your body, of your health, of yourself in programming yourself to be, to be better, act differently and, and strive for better or worse, right? <laughs> you know, or worse, it can go either direction, but obviously here at Against the Herd, we want you to be against the herd. So we want you to do a little bit better. Absolutely. And, and uh, no, certainly an interesting area, neuro-linguistic programming. Again, to recap what Bruce is, these techniques Bruce is suggesting are to bypass simply your conscious thought and, and have these very strong, you know, repeated thoughts that can influence the uh, subconscious, which is difficult to do and, and why, you know, neuralistic Pro, neuro-linguistic programming um, is not as simple as just thinking a thought once, but it's the programming of it. So you think it uh, a lot of times. And again, just to recap for everybody, how, how this may be useful in your life, um, you know, just to be aware of this, this subconscious programming being necessary. If you want to change maybe a habit or something that's ingrained into your life, if you 
you know, binge eat ice cream at times or, you know, love, love your Ben and Jerry's pint. It's not enough just to think like, oh, I ate that. Oh, shoot. You know, hopefully I don't do that again. And, and try to like think yourself out of it. You need some type of either strong thought patterns, neurolinguistic programming or environmental changes or, you know, suggesting things to your subconscious uh, in its deep state of relaxation, either by self-hypnosis or with somebody. Not that these things are the only way to do it, but they're a great way to do it because your subconscious is not affected by your, your normal thought patterns that just come by and are passing. It's, it takes more than that to influence the subconscious. And the subconscious is what controls like your deep urges and desires. Um, even though we feel like we control a lot of that in our, our prefrontal cortex, that is very much not the case. Recap, we hope you've learned uh, from this brief podcast that hypnosis is not just something people do on uh, on the stage. Um, it is something that you know people can use uh, to influence their lives in positive fashion. Um, there is a susceptibility difference between certain people, but overall, this does work in a majority of people, um, and, and there's a variety of methods for it. And be very aware of your subconscious program. So a couple, couple notes to take away, certainly a topic we could revisit uh, in the future, but we appreciate you listening and as always stay against the herd. Yeah.